This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Primary mitochondrial myopathies are a group of rare, often life-threatening disorders caused by genetic mutations that affect the energy needs of skeletal muscles and can impact the ability to walk, lift, or do other everyday activities. High-energy tissues like the heart, brain, and muscle are most affected by these disorders. Currently, there are no approved therapies to treat people with these conditions. Renio Pharmaceuticals is developing an experimental therapy that works by increasing the transcription of genes involved in mitochondrial function, increasing fatty acid oxidation, and promoting formation of new mitochondria. We spoke to Greg Flesher, president and CEO of Renio, about mitochondrial myopathies, the company's efforts to develop an experimental therapy to treat these conditions, and how it works. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me today. We're going to talk about rare mitochondrial myopathies, Renio Pharmaceuticals, and its efforts to develop treatments for these conditions. Perhaps we can start with mitochondria itself. These are often called the powerhouse of cells. What exactly are mitochondria and what role do they play in our health and well-being? Sure. Mitochondria are very important for humans, actually all animals on this planet. Um, They are small organelles in all the cells of our body that are responsible for metabolizing the foods that we eat and converting it into a common source of energy called adenosine triphosphate or ATP. And tissues in the body um, that need lots of energy, like skeletal muscle or, or the heart or the brain, have lots of copies of the mitochondria within each cell of the body so they can produce large amounts of energy. Renio is focused on primary mitochondrial myopathies. These are considered neuromuscular disorders. What are mitochondrial myopathies? Sure. So um, mitochondrial myopathies are a heterogeneous group of gene defects um, in um, the genes that are important for mitochondrial function. So um, as a little background, the mitochondria have their own genome. So they come with their own DNA and all of the genes produce proteins that are needed for the mitochondrial to function within human cells. And our human cells, the nucleus of the cell also has important genes that produce products that the mitochondria need as well. And if you have a gene defect in uh, one or more genes that are important for mitochondrial function, you often have difficulty in metabolizing foods. Uh, For folks with primary mitochondrial myopathy or PMM, 
the primary dysfunction is a lack or inability to fully metabolize fatty acids. And fatty acids are an important component of energy creation when you have longer dura uh, duration of energy needs. So um, very important to be able to metabolize fats, to, um, take them from your stored cells, your body, and use them for energy creation. And these patients, unfortunately, are at least somewhat compromised, if not materially compromised, in creating um, ATP out of fatty acids. How do mitochondrial myopathies generally manifest themselves and progress? Yeah, so these are um, rare genetic diseases. You are born with them, so you're born with a gene defect. It is uh, um, interesting. So I had mentioned earlier there's gene defects in the nuclear DNA, um, and when this happens, it affects every cell of the body, and it's usually a more a severe type of condition diagnosed in childhood is um, usually in your first years of life. Um, but the more common gene defect comes from the DNA of the, of the mitochondria itself. And in this scenario, only a portion of your mitochondria are affected. So uh, the way the mitochondria divide, if the, if the gene mutations or deletions or alterations derive from the mitochondria itself, um, you have a condition that's called heteroplasmy, meaning within each cell, some of the mitochondria are healthy and functionally normal, and some are abnormal. And in that situation, quite often at birth, you don't know you have the disease. And in fact, you don't know you have the condition or the disease uh, until you reach maybe um, pre-adolescence or adolescence when you are starting to grow rapidly and you need your energy demands increase exponentially as your skeletal muscle grows in your heart and your brain and other organ systems. And in the case for mitochondrial mutations, um, patients with PMN mitochondrial mutations, um, quite often you're diagnosed in adolescence and it manifests as um, grossly undeveloped skeletal muscle, extreme fatigue and weakness, muscle aching and cramps. And, uh, and as the child progresses into adulthood, can also progress into a lot of cardiovascular as well as uh, CNS or neurology related symptoms as well. Uh, how difficult a diagnosis is this to make and how are patients generally diagnosed? Yeah, so the good news is diagnosis has become more easily with whole genome sequencing. Um, 20 years ago, to definitively diagnose the condition, you needed to get a sample of muscle, typically um, skeletal muscle. So a calf muscle biopsy was probably the most common way to do this. And you would take pieces of calf muscle and do your genetic sequencing to find that you were missing pieces of DNA or had alterations in your DNA. Um, fortunately now, um, genetic testing has advanced quite far. We can use blood and we can use buccal swabs um, to gain the same amount of information in a less uh, invasive way for patients. So um, typically diagnosis is a long path. Patients begin to present with a host of neuromuscular symptoms. They often get referred um, to a neurospecialist, a neuromuscular specialist. And once they rule out some of the more commonly known and recognized diseases, it's often sort of the last condition of the diagnosis of exclusion. You've excluded all other diseases and then uh, refer to a genetic specialist who will find these mutations and diagnose you of having PMM. What treatment options exist for patients and what's the prognosis for someone with the condition today? Yes. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, there's no drugs approved anywhere in the world for the treatment of primary mitochondrial myopathies. Um, today, doctors try supplements, herbs and supplements to, to mitigate some of the symptoms associated with the disease, but uh, unfortunately, nothing is approved. Um, fortunately um, for us, we think that this could potentially be the first product approved for these patients and would have a, a profound effect on their lives and their day-to-day -day lives. 
Um, in terms of prognosis, I know you mentioned the prognosis. So right now there are a portion of patients born with this that won't make it out of childhood. Um, those that do make it out of ch childhood tend to live not a pleasant life because as you can imagine, as you grow from a child to an adolescent to an adult and your energy demands increase and your cells aren't able to meet those energy demands, your, your tissue goes under stress and the, the tissue dies. So for these patients, quite often they tend to be wheelchair bound, um, have a host of cardiovascular effects, neuromuscular effects, or skeletal muscle effects, as well as um, centrally derived CNS effects. Renio's lead experimental candidate is in development for primary mitochondrial myopathies, as well as long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders. How are long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders related to PMM? Interesting. Um, so both, um, to say it surely, uh, FAUD and PMM have similar phenotypes. Um, the patients themselves are unable to um, metabolize certain nutrients to create ATP or convert to ATP. For um, long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorder, these typically come from monogenic mutations, meaning uh, point mutations or single mutations in a specific enzyme. Um, for these patients, they have problems metabolizing long-chain fats that you get in your diet. And as you can imagine, as a newborn child who cannot yet eat normal food, mother's milk and formula, which is heavily fat um, and provided calories, tends to be your only source of energy. So these unfortunate children go through quite a deal uh, to navigate this. Uh, PMM patients um, can metabolize fats, but not efficiently. And it, again, it doesn't really become a problem until they become older um, adolescents or adults in age. And so both have, again, the same phenotype, um, significant myopathy, muscle weakness, muscle fatigue, underdeveloped muscle systems, um, and both have the inability to metabolize fats and fatty acids, but for different reasons. Radio's lead experimental, I'm sorry. Let's talk about your lead experimental therapy, REN001. What is it and how does it work? Sure. So uh, REN001, its scientific name is Mavo Delpar is a PPAR delta agonist. Uh, PPAR biology is a natural biology that all humans have. It is uh, interesting in the metabolism of foods and the creation of energy. When, when we exercise on a regular basis, our body produces uh, PPAR delta ligand. It causes the transcription of genes that increase mitochondrial function, and it allows then the mitochondria to produce more energy when our energy demands go up. What we have uh, created and are developing in the clinic is an agonist, a, a novel agonist of the same pathway. So we're trying to turn on or activate to a higher degree a natural pathway that exists in the body today. And that is what one of our REN001 is. It's oral. Uh, it's a tablet. I'm sorry, it's a capsule. And it's taken once a day. Now, what's known about its safety and efficacy from studies that have been done to date? Sure. So um, we have completed a number of uh, phase one um, studies with the product to date. We've completed traditional single ascending dose, multi-ascending dose, um, a leg immobilization study where we saw the drug was active in skeletal muscle on a, on a functional level as well as a genetic level, as well as have tested it in three open label phase 1B studies uh, in rare orphan diseases where mitochondrial function has been affected. Um, we have uh, quite a bit of knowledge of the safety and tolerability profile of the product. We find it to be very tolerable uh, to date and with a safety profile that would be amenable to a product in the marketplace at some point in the future. 
Um, we've also seen that the product does a very good job at increasing the oxidation of fatty acids or the consumption of oxygen. We've seen this in multiple studies, a consistent finding. And probably the most important, at least for moving into your pivotal studies before speaking to regulators, is the functional benefit of increasing oxygen consumption and fatty acid oxidation is the patients have more energy and we can put them through functional walk tests or functional exercise tests and show that they get a pretty sizable improvement in their ability to walk at least greater distances over a period of time. So uh, for most orphan drugs, um, what regulators like to see is a meaningful improvement in a functional endpoint, as well as symptom resolution, some of the key symptoms that this disease produces. What's the regulatory path forward? Yeah, so um, fingers crossed, we have an ongoing pivotal study that's nearly enrolled. We should finish early in 2023 um, and have data by the end of the, of the calendar year. So if that study is successful, if we meet our primary efficacy endpoint and have supportive secondary endpoints, um, we will use that data along with some long-term extension exposure data and go to meet regulators in early 2024 and talk about sending the product in for approval, both in the U.S. and in Europe. Mitochondria are implicated in a, a broader range of conditions. REN001 is believed to not only increase mitochondrial function, but promote the formation of new mitochondria. Is there reason to believe it might have the potential to benefit people with other mitochondrial disorders or other conditions in which mitochondria are implicated? Yeah, very, it's a very good question. We, we do believe that if the product is shown to be safe and effective in, in our lead program PMM, that there are a number of other um, uniquely named um, orphan diseases in the mitochondrial space where the drug may have a benefit. And we will continue to explore those other indications as we develop this product over time. Renio completed an IPO in April 2021. You raised $94 million. It's been a tough time since for public biotechs. Your IPO came at 15 and you're now just trading above $2. What's the conversation like with investors these days? <laughs> um, not fun at times. Um, no, no one likes to make an investment and, and see their, their investment decline over the course of time. Uh, but I think the good thing is our IPO was entirely purposeful to fund us through our clinical program, our, our pivotal clinical program. So unlike the other 95% of small companies that went public over the last couple of years, um, the cash that we raised gets us through a very significant milestone event in late 2023. And I think with that in mind, investors have been very patient and they continue to be supportive of the company and I think will be um, support of the company as we continue to move forward into 23. So is the plan to complete the phase three before seeking to raise additional capital? I think we explore all options. We have no need to go out and raise capital until we turn the data card uh, later next year. But again, as, as you know, in this industry, and you've talked to many CEOs and executives, I think when capital is available, one has to consider all the options. I mean, fortunately for us, we think this product can generate enormous revenues um, in the U.S. alone. And with that option, we may have some non-dilutive capital opportunities facing us uh, in the next year. Greg Flesher, President and CEO of Renio Pharmaceuticals. Greg, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Have a nice uh, afternoon. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, 
go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. 